Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a little convoluted, so Jesus goes on and explains. You have heard it said in ancient times, the commandment you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you're angry with your brother or your sister, you're liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you're liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you're liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift to the altar, you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there at the altar and go away. Go first be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. While you are on the way to court with him, your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard. And you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is pretty explicit about anger and what anger can do and what judgment can do. Anger. Anger is deep-seated. Anger can mess up our lives to the very core of who we are. And it takes a transforming core of love. I was watching The 600-Pound Woman this last week. TLC has lots of stories about people. It's a really great place to learn about how people get places and how they get to be how they are and how they go about their daily lives. Of course, it's cut into little bibliographies, but um, I was watching The 600-Pound Woman, and it's the story of Ginny that caught my attention. It was finally the death of her husband and the need and care to take care of her two children and a hernia that brought her to a doctor to have surgery. The surgery was supposed to take care of everything and she'd be on her way to healthy living. On her way. So she did. She went in for her surgery. And after the surgery, she began the rigorous path to weight loss. She had lots of inspiration. And Jenny had regular checkups. And after the first month, she had lost 20 pounds. Great. After the second month, she lost five pounds. Third month, another five pounds. Fourth month, five pounds. Sixth month, five pounds. After six months, her road to health, she had lost 55 pounds. Now, when you're 600 pounds, losing 55 pounds, if you're following, is not that much. That's actually not the fastest road to recovery. What was going wrong? 55 pounds is not what's supposed to be happening. She's supposed to be losing a lot, but she's not. Going to the gym and going to the doctor is not working. She finally talked with her doctor and learned the advice of going to a therapist. So she went to the therapist and they cut it short, of course. I'm sure there's multiple sessions that get at this. But there was an unhealthy wound that had not been healed and not been dealt with. And so she had been covering up that wound and that anger with food since she's been six years old. 
six years old, and now she's 35. 600 pounds of anger was literally on her. Then she began the road to recovery because the therapist was there to help unpack it and help her show that she truly was loved. And she lost 20 pounds the first month. And she lost 20 pounds the second month. And she lost another 40 the third month. And by the end of the show, she was down to 250. What a glorious thing. To get rid of that anger. To forgive. To have that transformative power. Jenny has a big heart that has been transformed. Wouldn't we want God to do that also to us? Wouldn't we? Part of this anger is that it becomes a giant cycle. And that's why God is stepping in as Jesus to help us refocus so that we can be transformed. You all know the old adage that the executive comes into uh, the office manager's office in the office and yells at them. The office manager then in turn goes into their office and yells at the secretary. The secretary then feels like she or he is filled with this anger so much so that they don't know what to do with it. So they go home and yell at their spouse. And their spouse in turn yells at the kids and the kids yell at the cat. Anger is a vicious cycle, is it not? If we're to not have this kind of anger inside of us, then we would be more mature. We would not be inflicting poor wounds upon this cat. And Israel is called to be the light of the world. So Jesus goes to Israel and said, you are not supposed to be going with this vicious cycle of anger. You're not supposed to be. How can this be dealt with? Anger needs to be diffused. It needs to be prevented from spilling out into its victims. So in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus commands the law, and he provides a blueprint for the way that we should be more fully, genuinely, and gloriously human. It's a new way. Jesus is coming in and speaking to them. You all have been so focused on the law, which we're all pretty good about keeping the commandments if we take them literally, but there's essence behind them that gets us there. There's a different pattern of behavior that needs to happen. It's not just fixing anything. Because the intent to kill begins with smoldering anger, doesn't it? Against someone or something very close to you. And all right, it might not result in murder exactly. But that's not the intent. So that you would stop short of just killing somebody. I hope none of you have ever come that close to killing someone, but I know we all have sat here with anger towards one another or a brother or a sister. Every time you let anger smolder inside of you so much, you become a little less fully human. You're belittling yourself. You, of course, let that anger turn foul and there's abusive language and sooner or later you may find yourself in kid world on a timeout. I wonder what we've said that sounded harsh to another brother or sister. What actions by others have gotten us so angry? 
what were our feelings against them? What situations have seemed irreparable? What relationships have been worth the repair and the time that it takes to get there? We ask these questions because you've been in those situations. I can tell you story after story of Jenny, the 600-pound woman, or me as a little girl on a playground bullying someone. But we all have these stories of folks we have been angry at. Even in Frozen, the movie, have you all seen it? Some of you have seen it, some of you not. So I wanted to say it is my first Disney movie that captures the heart of brother and sisterly, or sisterly, sisterly, but I have a brother, love and anger. Belle is a single child. Ariel is a single child. Pocahontas is a single child. They don't know what it's like. Brothers and sisters fight and sit on top of one another, punch one another. I've seen it today as much as I was younger. These two sisters, Anna and Elsa, they're playing, sure. But then one freezes the other. You know, no biggie. It's dangerous. And so the parents, the king and the queen of the castle, take the children away from one another so that they don't grow a relationship. So much so that they both grow up and one of them grows, grows up and moves into a castle, a frozen castle of her own. And the separation is palpable. Anna, who doesn't know all of the things that are going on because of another curse, I won't get into it. She doesn't know why her sister is so aloof. She doesn't know. The sister doesn't know why and how to curb her problem, her froze, freezing people problem, her freezing things problem, unless she's by herself. And so they live in two separate worlds. That's not a way to live. And there's a lot of anger that comes. And so literally, one Anna comes up the mountain to the castle to try to reconcile. And the other sister, Elsa, sings the song, Let It Go. And has a transformation of identity, and it's really great. And she wants to reconcile, too. And so she comes out of her frozen castle, and they meet. There's a lot of stuff in between that they reconcile. They reconcile because of love. I don't want to give away the ending, but they save each other's life because of love. They were hurting each other's life because of anger, and they were saving each other's life because of love. I saw myself in the story, but, you know, I'm a little princess inside, so... <sighs> what does Jesus have to say about this? In our scripture, we see the transforming power of reconciliation. Now, we don't all have to sing the song, Let It Go, unless you want to, in order to have a transforming moment. But maybe that becomes your theme song. And if you don't like Frozen, you could go with Wicked. Elphaba also has a transforming point. It's all good. So in our scripture today, we see transforming power of reconciliation. And Jesus says that reconciliation takes precedence over even worship. We see a comical situation where Jesus imagines someone getting all the way to the temple. It took three days from Galilee to walk from your house to the temple. 
purchasing an animal sacrifice because you never buy anything at the place because it's inflated prices, so you buy it along the way. You bring your cattle with you, and then suddenly you remember, as one might when approaching the holy God Almighty, that they have a relationship that has gone wrong. So the scene becomes comical that the three days it takes to get back to Galilee where Jesus' hearers would have lived, he cannot seriously imagine that an anxious worshiper would have gone all the way home and all the way back, and this poor animal would be living there without food or water for a week. Jesus is saying, that's insane. Go take care of your reconciliation before you even come to literally worship. Take care of your bonds and your anger. Don't even get to the point of anger before you come and worship the Lord. It is more important than that. Now, Jesus knows that it's hard. We must live day by day. And such as in parenting, it's much more effective when you don't simply criticize children and doing something wrong, but you teach them as a model of behavior and practice it together. The new pattern can replace the wrong pattern. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus has an immense amount of reconciliation and love that seems impossible until we look at the model that Jesus had when he lived. He refused to play into the anger of the Romans oppressing the Jews. Instead, he took the anger for his enemies and his own enemies, and he took them all onto himself, and he died on a cross for our sins. And that from that point on, reconciliation is not simply an ideal that we strive for. It's an achievement. It's an accomplishment. It's something that we must embody. And if Jesus can do it, we can do that much, can't we? Just that much. So when you are transformed to the core, that means you show that you have the biggest heart. Consider writing down a specific offense that you're wrestling with in the course of this. Don't try to sugarcoat the situation or your feelings towards it, but commit to listen to God. And before you come to worship next week, do a piece to reconcile that. We all have something. Take the moment this week to reconcile. We can actually amp it up. Jesus doesn't just go here. He says, why don't you try going over there and I'll lead you there. Transforming hearts, change to the core, but we can actually take it one step further and we can pre-reconcile. Does that make sense? I just came up with that word. Let's amp it up. What if you went to the coffee shop and you gave your barista an extra 50% tip. She might have been having a bad day. She might have been having something going wrong. She might be angry about something, but an extra tip. That's love. That's showing a really big heart. What about holding the door for someone your own age? That's love. That's anti-anger. That's a changed heart to the core. What about 
paying for the person behind you next time you go through the drive-thru. Did you know that actually happened somewhere? One person went through a drive-thru and paid for the person behind them, and it continued on for 120 cars. Why don't you notice a coworker's nail polish or hair or new tie or smile? Why don't you call your great aunt just to see how she's doing? Why don't you donate books to your local library? It's definitely the gift that keeps on giving. Or better yet, not our local library, although it does need money and it does need things. What about the local library in Highland Park? Why don't you volunteer at a women's shelter? Why don't you go on a trip to Costa Rica? Plug. Why don't you wine and dine your favorite member of our aging population? It's never late to feel special. You see, Jesus takes us from don't kill. Okay, we checked that off the list. We're all here, right? To don't even get so close to thinking about it. To don't even be angry. To transforming our hearts to the core. To doing completely different things. That this isn't even part of the equation anymore. You see, Jesus comes and he talks in the Sermon of the, on the Mountain. He says, yes, there's these laws. And of course, you all have come to church on Sunday, so you're keeping the Sabbath holy. You're not killing anyone. You're not committing adultery. It's great that you're keeping these ten. But there's more to it. There's more to it if you just unpack it. And Jesus wants to transform our lives into that. So that our actions do truly show that we have the biggest heart. Amen? Amen.